0: Welcome back to Issues et cetera. We talk a lot about cancel culture. There are some who poo-poo it as though it's overblown, but people actually do lose their jobs. People have lost their jobs for conscience sake, for refusing to go along with the narrative of their company or their educational institution and simply speaking the truth. We're going to be talking about cancel culture, the sexual revolution, and higher education. Dr. Scott Yenner joins us. He's professor of political science at Boise State University. He's Washington Fellow at the Claremont Institute Center for the American Way of Life. And he's author of the book, The Recovery of Family Life, Exposing the Limits of Modern Ideologies, and a recent column for First Things titled, Anatomy of a Cancellation. Dr. Yenner, welcome.
1: Thank you for having me on.
0: Tell us the story of your first cancellation at the hands of sexual revolutionaries.
1: Well, that was back in 2000. I wrote something for a publication, The Daily Signal, on how transgender ideology seemed to be running up against parental rights, seemed to be threatening the autonomy of parents to raise their kids. I thought it would present a really uh, like a side door assault on parental rights and You know, I I call that in the article that I just wrote, the boyhood of cancellations. You know, I got maybe a hundred emails, kind of angry emails, some threatening phone calls, a little bit of action by our faculty senate. Posters were painted all over campus that I had blood on my hands and such. But, you know, the sentiments were tabled at the senate. So that was my first run in with the whole cancel culture. It didn't have any long term effects. Uh, as far as I could tell, except probably on my reputation on campus, which, you know, I was all right with.
0: What occasioned your second cancellation?
1: A speech I gave at National Conservatism Conference criticizing feminism. The basic point of the speech was that great nations need great families, and you cannot have great families on the basis of modern feminism. At the end of the speech, I gave some ideas for what would have to change in order for the country to become less feminist and uh, like more interested in having great families. And I said several things there that are contradictory to what is going on now in American society, including, you know things like, "I think we should end, special recruitment for females." into various professions because we would expect men and women to choose differently in professions. Feminism has gone far enough. There is equal opportunity and anything we do beyond equal opportunity is kind of unnecessary and uh, other things in this vein. And those were the things that I think those who went after me really glummed onto so they're secondary matters in the speech overall, because, you know, I do think that great nations need great families, and great families cannot be built on the basis of feminism. And no one ever kind of goes after the main points, they always go after subordinate points. But they did, and it's legit to go after someone intellectually on such matters. But that wasn't necessarily all they did. So
0: how was the second cancellation different from the first?
1: Yeah, different in scope and magnitude, both quantity and quality, like a lot more emails, a lot more threatening phone calls. I would say that it would be about a 10x difference, 10 times more volume. Plus, the sophisticated ways in which they went after you uh, increased. They tried to hack social media, financial institutions that I have my stuff through. They went after my wife, my kids, uh, finding people with the last names. It was broader in scope like that. And then the other, I think, big factor that changed from the first one, uh, I think in the first one, the university was reacting to social media. But in the second one, the university was also reacting to social media, but the university did not feel it could ignore social media. So almost immediately after the social media swarm came after me, the university began Title IX hearings against me that I was uh, someone who was guilty of sexual harassment and discrimination. So there was legal consequences or potential legal consequences that came along with the second one that were absent from the first. And that's what I like. It's different in scope, different in magnitude, quality and quantity. All of them were just much more extensive. So I think there's a whole industry behind these cancellations. It's an international movement and that has kind of local chapters, (laughs) and I think that's the big difference.
0: So tell us about your Title IX tribunal.
1: So charges are made against you. In my particular case, for instance, as I talk about in the article, the claim was that I grade females harder than males in my classes. This is one of the claims, and I'll just use it to illustrate the whole point, I'm not faced with the person who made the accusation. I'm not allowed to cross-examine the person who made the accusation. My lawyer is not allowed to intervene during a tribunal or question. So there's no cross-examination. The standards of evidence for conviction are preponderance of the evidence and not beyond a reasonable doubt. And... Though, you know, in an interview, I am allowed to make, you know, a positive defense. So in this particular case, I can bring in my grades and show that this was, A, factually untrue, and B, you know, in fact, just the opposite was the case, which suggests I would say that I grade on the basis of merit. So the big difference is that everything is on the line, but there's no cross-examination. There's no good legal representation, and the standards of conviction are much lower than in other cases.
0: How were the formal charges against you finally resolved in that case?
1: In Title IX hearings and such, no one ever says that you're innocent. In this particular case, uh, exoneration was characterized as insufficient evidence to go forward with charges. In in my particular case, at the end of my interview, which lasted only about an hour, the investigator said that she was going to hold that there was insufficient evidence to go forward with charges, and which my attorney had never heard of such a thing happening. The charges were really ridiculous, easily rebutted, and irresponsible to make, but there was insufficient evidence to go forward. so. Nothing went forward at that point, and that's how it ended.
0: So how did the 19th century political philosopher and historian Alexis de Tocqueville, how did he actually anticipate the vulnerability of a democracy to the forces of cancellation, long before cancel culture was a thing?
1: Yeah, you know, I I think the interesting thing about Tocqueville, and really many thinkers in the canon, you know, like Plato and And Nietzsche and St. Augustine, all of them recognize that in some way, every culture is a cancel culture. There are certain things that are beyond the pale to say in every political community. And Plato represents this in the cave analogy in his Republic, where he likens the political community to a cave and the citizens to prisoners in that cave. And all the people can see in that cave are the shadows that are cast by the poet. And what Tocqueville was getting at was that in a modern democracy, the same dynamic happens with one big difference, that it's difficult to imagine a way out of the cave. That is, democratic theory, democratic, I mean, democratic societies present no way out from the dominant public opinion. It's very difficult to resist it. So modern democracies, have this tendency to have what he calls a soft despotism, that is to constrain the range of human thought to acceptable opinions. And then when you traverse those opinions, you're out. In the 1900s, you would traverse, or in the 1800s, excuse me, basically atheists had a difficult time publishing. In the 20th century, it's not the fact of cancellation that's different, it's what you're canceled for that's different. And that makes all the difference uh, when it comes to having healthy opinions in society.
0: You say that uh, cancel culture is inhumane and corrupting less because it cancels than because of what it cancels. Explain
1: that. Yeah, it's kind of a deviation of what I just said. That is, every culture holds some opinions sacred. And it has some opinions about which you're not allowed to laugh. So the real question is whether or not the opinions that you're not allowed to say are asocial or antisocial, because that might be good. So if you're not allowed to really hold opinions that are really like bad for society, someone who defended, say, murder, I think murder is great. If someone said such a thing, held such an opinion and tried to convince people to that, like, It's good if a political community kind of exiles people who would like to upset opinions that are very central to having a good society. So I think, for instance, that it's good to encourage young women to be mothers. And like, if you can be canceled for that opinion, well, that's gonna be bad for the long-term health of society. The canceling isn't necessarily the problem, It's the content of what you're canceled over that can be the problem. And I think that's kind of where we're at. That is, you can be canceled for stating truths, Things like COVID came from a lab leak, or masks don't do you any good, or there are downsides to vaccines, or young girls should consider, at least, being mothers, that career isn't the number one thing for all human beings. Like, these opinions can run up against the swarm, but those opinions are actually necessary for a civilized country. So that's what I'm getting at when I talk about the content of cancellation is more important than the fact.
0: Dr. Scott Yenner is our guest, he's a professor of political science at Boise State University. We're talking about cancel culture, the sexual revolution, and higher education. We'll discuss how it erodes the habits of faith and the commitment to motherhood and chastity next. Please include the worldwide outreach of Issues Etc. in your year-end giving. You can make a secure online contribution at issuesetc.org or by giving us a call, 618-223-8385. For a year-end tax-deductible donation of $250 or more, we'll send you our latest book, The Wittenberg Trail, Paths to Lutheranism, and a new recording of 22 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. Thanks for listening, and thanks for your support at the end of 2022. This fallen creation is bested by tornado, hurricane, flood, pandemic, and more. LCMS Disaster Response helps our congregations, their pastors, and other church workers to reach out to their members and neighbors with mercy, which flows from Christ to altar. We offer quality volunteer training, help for congregational readiness and response, and disaster grant funding. To learn more, visit lcms.org disaster. That's lcms.org
1: disaster. Contending for truth in an age of anti-truth. You're listening to Issues Etc. If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Dr. Russell Dawn, President of Concordia University, Chicago. Indeed, the quest for truth is at the core of a university's
0: purpose. The liberal arts, illuminated by the revealed truths of Scripture, are powerful for equipping students for a life of self-governance. A disciple is one who follows the master. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? He said that it means to take up one's cross. The cross is thus the symbol of dying for others, of dying to self for the sake of serving others.
1: And a life of service is a life well lived. Truth? Freedom, vocation, Concordia University, Chicago, cuchicago.edu.
0: Welcome back to Issues, Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about cancel culture, the sexual revolution, and higher education with Dr. Scott Yenner. Folks, you can help us contend for truth in an age of anti-truth by making a year-end tax-deductible donation to support the worldwide outreach of issues, etc. Any size gift is deeply appreciated. You can make a secure online contribution at issuesetc.org or by giving us a call, 618-223-8385. Thanks for listening and thanks for partnering with us at the end of 2022. Dr. Yenner, you also say that assumptions about the sexual revolution are corroding the habits of faith and the commitments to motherhood and chastity, even among evangelicals, especially evangelical women.
1: What do you mean by that? Well, you know, when you look at generational changes and what churches believe and what congregants believe, you know, there's just more and more acceptance of non-Christian beliefs. So the cancel culture that we have is affecting the church because the church, reasonably in some way, is trying to avoid saying things that would run up against cancel culture. And if those things that run up against cancel culture are actually crucial to the Christian sexual ethic, you have a choice. Are you going to follow the Christian sexual ethic or are you going to adhere to the limits set by cancel culture? And increasingly it's difficult to maintain congregations if you traverse the dictates of cancel culture. So what you see over the course of generations is greater acceptance, for instance, of homosexuality, sex before marriage, divorce, among all types of Christians. And that's because those are sacred opinions according to our culture. And the fact that many Christians adhere more to the dictates of the cancel culture than to the dictates of Christian sexual ethics is a long-term threat to Christendom.
0: Why do you say that Christian congregations have a duty to cultivate in their own flocks a spirit of martyrdom?
1: Well, I mean, that's kind of a corollary to what we just talked about. If you have a choice between cancel culture and Christian sexual ethics, the thing you have to do is stand up for the truth. You have to stand up for the truth of Christian sexual ethics. And that means that they might come after you. And such an idea that the gospel and the law is a kind of sword in the world, and it forces people to kind of pick sides. It's a reality for churches and for individual Christians. So appreciating how the church will often be on the short end of the stick uh, when it comes to a battle against a predominant culture is really part of what it means to cultivate a spirit of martyrdom. Now, I want to be kind of clear about this, I don't think that cancel culture as it exists today is the same thing as martyrdom, but it's in the odor of it. That is, it's taking the side of Christ and his teaching when the predominant culture is going in the other direction, and then being willing to take the consequences for that. So, as I say, I think they're cousins, at least.
0: Are American institutions, and especially academia, are they able to be reformed from the influence of the sexual revolution?
1: Oh, well, that's a great question. And I would love to know the answer to it, but you're asking me to give you the answer to it. Well, I, I don't know. I don't know that you can save both American institutions and critique sexual revolution because the principles of the sexual revolution has really become sewn into American institutions. So I think, reforming American institutions is going to be very difficult. I don't know of one example where it's actually happened. And if there is such an example, we should follow that model. I know that maybe those who adhere to the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, know of an example where the seminary in the early 70s was taken over by liberals and through a kind of wrenching reform that involved people walking out of the seminary, that uh, the seminary was saved. It's actually a model for how you have to go about trying to save institutions. And so I guess if we're going to save America, people should study the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and how it saved its seminary in the early 70s in a conflict that's called Seminex, because it might be one of the real examples of saving an institution that was going in the other direction.
0: Finally, what has been the personal cost of cancel culture to you and your family?
1: You know, I mean, you learn who your friends are. And I've learned who, you know, I think maybe I've gained friends over the course of time because there's a certain amount of admiration that comes for and sympathy for those who go through what I went through. And there are obvious social costs that you might lose some friends if you gain other friends. It's definitely brought my family close together. We've been close for a long time, but this definitely was a kind of bonding thing for us. And I also feel that I can sympathize, talk with those who've been through similar things around the country and around the world and do talk to people who've been through similar things. So, you know, it, it closes some doors and it opens other doors. So I'm not even going to say that I think it's been a net negative, uh, but as I say, I think you do learn out who your friends are and who they're not.
0: Dr. Scott Yenner is professor of political science at Boise State University. He's Washington fellow at the Claremont Institute's Center for the American Way of Life, author of the book, The Recovery of Family Life, Exposing the Limits of Modern Ideologies, and a recent column for First Things titled Anatomy of a Cancellation. You can read it and purchase The Recovery of Family Life. At our website, issuesetc.org, click Talk On Demand Archives. Dr. Yenner, thank you.
1: All right. Thank you.
0: Wednesday on Issues Etc. We'll look forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary with Pastor Peter Bender and its media coverage of religion with Terry Mattingly. Then on Thursday, we'll get a review of the movie Avatar from Pastor Ted Geese. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening.
1: Is a production of LPR Lutheran Public Radio.
0: I am beautiful because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm accepted because I'm a part of his family through Jesus shed blood.
1: Unity Lutheran School in East St. Louis, Illinois shines the light of Christ in one of the most impoverished cities in America. Learn how to support their mission work at unityesl.org, unityesl.org.
0: Today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I say yes to God in His ways.
1: Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Collinsville, Illinois, is happy to support the Christ-centered, cross-focused ministry of Issues Etc. Join us for worship, Bible classes, youth ministry, and other opportunities to grow in Christ. We have a Christian day school for children in preschool to 8th grade. We are located at 1300 Beltline Road. Call us at 618-344-3151 or visit www.goodshepherdcollinsville.org.